Aloha and welcome back to SUPFM. My name's Simon Hutchinson and in the SUPFM podcast every week I talk to people who can inspire and add to your experience of stand-up paddleboarding. What you'll find in every episode is a chat with an individual who's either done something incredible in SUP or who can offer you some learning, information and help which can add something to your time on the water. As you may well have guessed already, this episode is brought to you through the support of our friends over at Starboard. Starboard is the leading innovator in SUP and has a huge history in board design. And I talked to Sven Rasmussen, the creator of the brand, in episode 71. He started in the windsurfing market in 1994 and innovated with his designs, which led to the brand becoming market leader in only 10 years. The brand got behind stand-up paddling early and has solidly supported the sport ever since. Starboard continue to innovate on the environmental front as they improve and they push the boundaries of design and functionality, which makes them suitable for the weekend warrior like me, as well as for the elite level competitors, like one of our previous guests, Fiona Wilde, who seems to be winning all over the place at the moment. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. You can catch up with the SUPFM podcast in plenty of places, including Instagram and Facebook. But if you wanted to keep it old school, you could sign up to our SUPFM email newsletter, which goes out with a whole lot of value-added updates about future episodes, SUP news, starter packs and added extras. And if you do sign up, then as a thank you, you'll also get our free guide to our favourite apps that we use on the water and which helps us to plan our sessions. And you can subscribe by heading over to our website at supfmpodcast.com. This week, I'm very proud to feature another extreme SUP athlete, and one who, in my view, should be far more well-known than he is. But would you ever choose to paddle the 200-odd kilometres of the classic 11 cities race non-stop? Clearly, it takes a special kind of person to take part in the first place. But what sort of person does it take to come back year after year and to win it repeatedly? Nick van der Linde, the guest on today's episode, simultaneously this year also broke the record for distance travelled on a SUP over 24 hours, which is a record which is generally attacked on boards much longer and with much more glide than the standard 14-foot race board he was on. In this episode, we chat about the history of the 11 cities, his preparation and training and nutrition, And if you do fancy taking on this massive challenge, or indeed any distance challenge, he gives some great tips and advice, as well as some tourist advice if you just wanted to paddle the Netherlands at a slightly more relaxed pace. So here is this year's remarkable winner of the non-stop 11 cities race and the current 24-hour SUP distance record holder, Nick van der Linde. Hey Nick, welcome to SUP FM. Thank you, thank you for asking me. It's an honor. Well, it's the honor is all ours, Nick. As a, a multiple winner of the non-stop eleven cities, that is a gritty old race to win once, let alone repeatedly. I think two weeks have passed since since you crossed the finishing line. Mm-hmm. Um, have you recovered? 
When I sit on a chair, I think I recovered. But <laughs> once I do something, I have to put some boards on my uh, on my car or something. Then I still feel the shoulders, and I went running a little run this evening. And then you feel you're still kind of tired. You, you can do everything right now, but yeah, to really do a competition or something, no, that's not going to work. So uh, on average, yeah, I'm still a little a little tired. Well, not surprising at all. So let's just go back a little bit in time. So how how did you start supping? And and what was your background in water sports? Uh, Yeah, when I was 15 years old, which is a long time ago now, for my birthday, I got a present. It was a windsurf board. And I started windsurfing and I really liked it and got addicted to it and just wanted to windsurf as much as possible and did so. Yeah, and when I do something, I really go 100% for it so I was doing competitions first in racing and then freestyle windsurfing came and I started to do uh, freestyle windsurfing and won some competitions the Dutch nationals and everything and I traveled a lot around the world just to train in the winter and yeah that's something like when I was 35 or something yeah okay windsurfing i did it a lot but i was actually looking for something else without realizing i was looking for something else but and then i saw these pictures from some windsurf friends and it was actually from the 11 city tour and a guy i knew from windsurfing did the non-stop and i saw these pictures from just a guy uh, a board a pedal and 200 200 case of water in front of him and just do it, go for it. Wind in the back, wind across, sun, rain, doesn't matter. Just go for it. And actually, that's the reason I started pedaling. So I had my, my sponsored Fanatic for windsurfing. And they also had uh, subboards. So I asked, uh, have this uh, September, can I, can I have a board? But something came in between and I wasn't getting a board and I lost interest again. And uh, the year later, I saw the same kind of pictures. And then I said, okay, I really want this. And I started pedaling on the windsurf board, just a beginner board, a couple of weeks. And then I could organize the sub. The first time I I went on it, I still remember, I just fell off immediately. It was a race up, of course. (laughs) And actually, the day after, I was doing the Nationals in Holland. And I think I got 14th or something. Not really spectacular. I did some training just on on the winter board. But yeah, actually, from the moment I was on the sub board, I got hooked. And I really like, yeah, just the simplicity of things uh, a board a pedal and well that's the course a couple of buoys sometimes or in this case just the beautiful landscape of friesland 200k 11 cities yeah that really that's really what i like actually yeah it's a simple sport in concept so i know there's a lot of complexity within the windsurfing which has been both a, a blessing and a curse. And you run a, a SUP school, don't you, and a windsurf school. Whereabouts do you run that? Uh, yeah, I do. It's in the northwest of Holland. Most people know Amsterdam. <laughs> it's about 50k above Amsterdam. It's close to the North Sea. So it's kind of the windy part in Holland. So for windsurfing, it's ideal. It's a small lake, not that big. I think it's four by four square 
kilometers. And of course, we have all these kennels uh, just around the corner where I live, or I can sup on the lake. I can go in the chop on the lake if I want. I can choose for flat water. I can go on the North Sea in, in some waves if I want. So everything is pretty close here. And yeah, that's where we located. I teach sub in Alle. That's where I live. And at the Amstelmeer. That's where I have the windsurf school and also teach sub. You've already answered one of my questions, which is, do you get any surf opportunities up there? I kind of surf. It's North Sea, of course. So it's not Hawaii or France or whatever. But yeah, the last couple of days we got some what we call swell <laughs> one meter <laughs> and it was uh, kind of no wind so it was really nice so we we do have some surf i did some surfing in the past in the last years i was also doing stand-up surfing sub surfing actually the last year i was more actually always when the waves are not that good so most of the time i just took my ocean sub race board and just do in and outs and uh, surf on my big board. And well, last year I got into foiling. So that's a new chapter. We have sub foil, wing foiling. So um, yeah, that's, we do have some waves, yeah. Yeah, well, it's probably the same quality of waves that we get on the s- south coast of England here, which is, yeah, about a metre, and uh, we get excited about that. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Okay, so so um, a large number of our listeners will be familiar with the Eleven Cities SUP race, which obviously, as you said, is you know the, the prime mover for bringing you into the sport in the first place. Yeah. And, it, and it's become one of those classic ev- events, despite the fact that obviously the, the sport's quite new and and the, the SUP side of it, I think, has been going since 2009. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, the route itself has been raced a lot longer than 2009. It, it is a classic race route. So could you just tell us a little bit about the background to um, the 11 cities and then maybe about the, the, the variations of different SUP races that are, are run on that? Yeah, the 11 cities, it started actually with ice skating a long time ago, a long time before I was born. And well, it takes a lot of, yeah, you have to be lucky in the winter to have ice on all those lakes and all those canals. So it's not every year. Actually, I think the last time it was on ice skate, it was, I think, in 96 and 97. I still remember that it, when it happens, Although now it's really long time ago. I think it has to do something with uh, Mother Earth. <laughs> and it's getting too warm. But I still remember I was on school and we all went to see the Eleven City on TV. And normally you never watch TV on school. But when this happens, the whole country just stands still and watches. And it's, if it happens, it's, it's really big. And the people who have won it, everybody knows them. And I don't know how many times it happened, but I I can remember. And I think they were 96 and 97. So that's a really big thing. I think if it, if it will happen now, next winter, with all the commercial things, it will be really crazy, really commercial. But yeah, it's a really tough race. There's also the race of, I think it's 96 and it was freezing and hail and storm and they made movies about it so if you can do it skating then you're uh, a real winner so it has it has a big history and yeah then 
they started to do all kinds of sub uh, sorry, it's 11 city races. They do it uh, on bikes. They do it running. They do it roller skating. They do it with cars. And I think it's 12 years ago right now. Anna Marie was also a windsurfer. She was I knew her from school. But at that time, I wasn't into SUP at all. So we were in the same school and she started to SUP. She was doing a lot of windsurfing, saw the SUP on Maui, brought it to Holland, really liked it, and just asked some friends and tried if it was possible to do it on a sub. So that's actually how the first 11 City uh, race started. And uh, there were some invitations with the famous uh, paddlers. I think Bartos Swart was one of the first ones. And yeah, they just did it with a group of friends, a uh, big group, and they found out it was possible. And from there, it went bigger and bigger, and a few years later, they got into the nonstop, and now you have everything. You can do it for one day, you can do it for the weekend, you can do it for five days, you can do it in a team, you can do the nonstop on your own, you can do the nonstop in a team. So actually, for every peddler, there's something. I think the shortest distance is day five, it's 27K, uh, so if you go for it one year you should be able to do that um, and most people like it and the next year they sign up for two days or five days or whatever so that's actually the history of the 11 city it, it has turned into one of those classic sup events hasn't it because in the past there were some classic races classic events you know battle of the paddle and and so on but this one is one that looks like it oh i mean it, it's it's been around for so many years and uh, it se just seems to be going from s strength to strength really and the fields continue to to build although the the non-stop does have a, have a limited field doesn't it i don't think that that will ever be the most uh, <laughs> no <laughs> choice so so you mentioned about the the two different events so so just explain to us obviously the non-stop we can kind of get our our heads around and and by the way we're talking about 220 kilometers here which is 100 and 37 miles just under 137 miles so it's not an inconsiderable distance but there's the the non-stop and then there's also the stage race which people kind of compare to the sub equivalent of the the tour de france yeah and um, have you entered the stage race or has it always been non-stop for you once i did one stage uh, <laughs> it's actually also a funny story so i have my windsurf school i have my sub school and it it is always in summer, late summer. So, well, I have to pay the bills. So I'm working hard in summer. That's the time when I have to uh, make some money. So actually, I never was able to take off five days and, and to race. And one time I did, I think it was a Thursday. So I did one stage, which is around 45K. Yeah, really liked it. And the year after, I had some issues with my knee. So I couldn't do any sub. And then the year after that, yeah, I really wanted to do something with the 11 City again. But yeah, I wasn't able to do five days because I had to work. And at that time, the nonstop was on Monday and Tuesday. And the five days started on Wednesday. So Monday and Tuesday are not really with me uh, teaching. So I thought, well, let's do it on Monday, Tuesday. And then Wednesday, I can start teaching again. <laughs> so I won't lose too much. So that's why I did. Actually, it was just one of the reasons was that it took, took me less time. 
only took me two days. I didn't realize it took a few more days or weeks to recover, but... <laughs> so, so did you win it in your first year? Because um, you've won it four years, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first year is still... Yeah, if I think about it, it's it's crazy that I won it. We started... First of all, it was the one where we did a little different course. We started... It, it was Force 8, Force 9 wind was expected with thunderstorms and hail and rain. So we did the course a little different. We started halfway and then did the circle. Normally, we start in Leeuwarden. This time, we started in Workham. That way we shouldn't have the biggest wind uh, in our face and halfway the, the whole race got cancelled due to thunderstorm and lightning and everything we couldn't do one lake so actually i think we did that time 180k but i was standing there at the starting line and the fastest peddlers always are the last one to start so race I race organizer Hans asked me, Nick, when do you want to start? And I said, yeah, of course, with the fastest guys. And he said, are you sure? I said, yeah, I think so. That's what I want to do. They are my heroes, like Barthes Schwartz and Florian Dode and Olivier. They were winning all these massive things, great athletes. So I really wanted to see how they were doing. So there I was standing on the start line and we started and they just battled away and I was struggling and I was going 8k an hour and I was uh, thinking what's going wrong it's so heavy it's so heavy and then after 5k I found out that my light felt off my board and it was hanging on a rope like mm. like a kind of anchor <laughs> so I lost there something like 10 or 15 minutes, whatever. And at that moment, Hans saw me and he thought, oh no, Nick, he wanted to start with the fast guys, but we're not even 10K from the start and he's already 10 minutes behind. What's going to happen? So, yeah, I, I found out and I, I picked up the lights. And from there on, I, for sure, I really had to do my own race because everybody was out of sight. And actually, that was a good thing because if you start looking at other people, if you try to stay ahead of them or try to follow them, it's not going to work. It's it's not a race with other people. It's just a race against or with yourself. So I just started pedaling and somewhere halfway, suddenly I saw a light in the dark and I got closer. Whoa, that's Bartosz Schwartz, And he was third and I was not leave i couldn't believe that i was able to catch up with him and i thought wow i'm i'm third <sighs> and so we battled further and then the, the the race got canceled for two hours and i found out that, that the frenchmen olivier and flora were just a couple of minutes in front of me and then we went off again and yeah i was able to over overtake them and i think 40k in front of the finish line i was leading in the leading position i took over the leading position and at that time i was only thinking like oh man i'm gonna pedal like crazy if i finish the line first i never ever have to do this again it's if i can accomplish this math it's it's like a dream. So I really pedaled like crazy and I finished something like 
10 minutes ahead of Olivier. And yeah, I won. So that was a surprise for everybody, for myself, for Fnatic, my sponsor, for my dad who was supporting me and uh, giving me all my, my drinks and food. And everybody couldn't believe it. I I, I heard from, from, from men who were crying <laughs> when they saw it, when they heard it. It was uh, the year before was really tough mentally and physically for me. And winning that race was just amazing. Just to talk a little bit about preparation, because obviously your approach must have been refined over the years and you must have changed bits and pieces in your preparation. But I, I don't know whether you know this one, putting you on the spot a bit, but do you know how many calories you burn during the course of the race no I, I i don't know how many calories i burn i should check my strava or my garmin and i i always use a heart rate monitor but not with this race so i'm actually not sure but i do know how many calories you uh, or carbs actually which is the most important carbohydrates how mm. many you can take in an hour during exercise and uh, yeah i've uh, read a lot i listen to a lot of podcasts i've i'm really into training i i train a lot with a guy who's also really uh and uh, also crazy about sup and all the theories and training and everything so we're always talking about these theories and trying them out and and, and trying to, to know everything about training and rest and and food so yeah, there's there's a lot to learn, and uh, there are a lot of things that can go wrong, and a lot of things that can go right, and a lot of things you have you have to think about. And there are people like, for example, I think two years ago, Emma. She's also she's a fanatic uh, teammate, and she also is very busy in uh, summer with uh, working at the, at the surf school and everything. So I think she decided to do the nonstop one week ahead. So she's actually the opposite. She didn't, she trained. She's really good at sea. So she did her miles, but, you know, I, I know every corner. I know every detail. I know exactly at which stop I have to drink so much and eat so much to get to the next stop. And everything is ready to go. And she's actually the opposite. And she also made it and she also won with the, with the ladies. Yeah, I like to to work hard for it and know everything up front mm -hmm. so i don't get surprised yeah that's definitely the way to go so so just in terms of the race so so the non-stop there's no drafting yeah is that right that's the, that's the main rule am i right in saying that i should know this in the in the stage race you can draft or yeah. is it yeah you yeah. can draft there within your own group so you start in groups, you can subscribe for, I think it's the open men, the fastest, are the fastest guys. But you also can subscribe for the masters or the super masters or the ladies or the divas. And you can draft within your own group. Um, we mentioned about nutrition and how important that is. What sort of things do you take with you? Because 24 hours of gels doesn't sound mm -hmm. like a huge amount of fun. No. Um, how do you structure your nutrition? Well, you can take up to 60 uh, gram of carbohydrates an hour. And if you have the right stuff and if you trained that well, that's also trained. You can go up to 90 uh, grams per hour carbohydrates. So that's, I, I know how long it is till the next stop. I know almost my average pace. 
So then I know how long it takes and then I know how many scoops I need. So I also know how much water I want. I want uh, 0.7 liters. If you're sporting, it's something between 0.6 and 1 liter an hour. So I chose for uh, 0.7 liters an hour. So if you know these things, how many carbs you need and how many water you need, well, you just have to put it in your bag and make sure you finish it until the next stop. And it's, it is simple. It sounds simple. I tell this to everybody, but I've spoken to so many people and they said, yeah, yeah, Nick, you told me I should drink and get everything in. But yeah, actually, every time I was at the stop, it was just half finished. Yeah. And then, okay, later I had to give up. Yeah. <laughs> so that are it is it is really hard and it sounds simple but it's also something you have to train uh, in advance you I, I took a lot of sports nutrition and like you said taking gels and the sport nutrition it's not something you like after 12 hours or 24 so you have to get used to it but on the other it's the best way to do it you can drink other things which you like of course i'm hungry of course i want a pizza or the pasta but it's not gonna work it just stays in my stomach and gives me stomach problems so yeah i know i know what i need i did my research and yeah that's what i take for every single stop i get a camelback filled with the right amount of water and the right amount of scoops brilliant so so the majority of carbs you get through um, sports drinks then yeah yeah what? and every stop so there are nine stops um every stop one banana and one yeah it's just a cheap uh granola bar it's nothing it's just something to get to have in your mouth it's just something to get rid of the the taste of uh, of the drink and to do something and so actually every stop i think it was yeah one banana and one or two granola bars and yeah you you can i took the banana straight (laughs) i ate it straight at the stop and then i put the granola bar just in my boards and then after 10k i could eat one and after 20k i could eat one it's it's something you can go for it's it's a goal and i always try to put it the whole 200k in in small steps in small portions and this also works for me to, uh, to to know you can get something a uh, food again absolutely and it's such an important i've done some you know quite a bit of distance running and cycling as well and the nutrition piece is so so important yeah. if you just time it then you're just a, a horrible sweating mass on the side of the road or or the side of the, the canal i guess so no, that's really fascinating and in terms of your physical preparation so i'm talking more about like protecting your hands and so on what, what what do you do there do you do you wear gloves do you have about half a ton of tape on there or are your hands just absolutely solid from the train yeah that's it <laughs> no nothing on the hands i think i had two blips when i look at my hands right now they're gone already yeah i've been windsurfing for i don't know since i was 15 i'm 43 now so a couple of years and and not just uh, one time a week. It was uh, four times a week. And the same with stand-up paddling right now. So, yeah, you really get, get used to it. And I think tape. I, I, I tried it the first time. I did uh, 70K training and I taped my hands. And 
my hands were more sore from the tape than from blisters or whatever. So yeah, the best thing for sure is to just pedaling down, making your miles and get used to it. Easier said than you're not getting that in one year. Some people decide they want to do the nonstop or the five days and they start training six months before. So yeah, just this win, this world record, it's from, I think, 10 years of training. Every year you get a little bit stronger in the whole body, but also the hands. Absolutely. And and as an instructor myself, when I talk to, to people and they're, they're frustrated about not getting balanced, say, on the sea, you know, I just remind them it is all about time on the board. And I was speaking to Chris Burtish a few weeks ago about his experience and and also about his mavericks experience his big wave stuff and it's simply about just spending time out there in lots of different conditions and you know your body just gets used to it and you, you can't expect to be a, a world beater without putting in those hours sometimes i give this clinics to people who want to do some ultras again like the five days or the non-stop and they all want to know the shortcut and well there is no shortcut it's just putting the miles putting the miles in making doing all the hard work and it is very important if you want to do something like this of course you really have to like it and then you can go for it but you cannot start today by training six days a week after two months you will be ill and you can start all over again so that also took me sometimes four years ago I was maybe able to do sub every every other day and now i'm able to train six days a week and so you really have really slowly have to uh, gradually have to train more and you cannot do everything from right now and i guess speaking personally you get older the rest and the recovery becomes even more part of the equation doesn't it i know that with your training you did some long runs as part of your lead up to the 11 cities and and then you tapered up off just to give your body a chance to recover just tell us a bit about your your training plan particularly the distances you did uh, yeah it's, it's true it, it takes time to recover and you really have to feel to listen to your body and then you can do what what's possible so if you make a plan six days a week well Every every two weeks, you have to think, is, if it, is it still going okay or should I do less? Usually, you have to do less than you wanted. So what I actually did, yeah, I started around this period. Actually, last year, I got the feeling I, yeah, I, I knew I could do better. And that's actually the biggest motivation for me to get on the sub and to train. It's, uh, the goal is to make my body stronger. And the best way to see if I got stronger is to do the 11 nonstop. So it's uh, the biggest challenge there is. So I, I had some thoughts about things I could uh, do better. So I started to do a little more weight training. I started to do a little more running, but yeah, a little faster. I used to do quite a lot of distance but slow but i started to do that a little little faster i found out that my, my my pace was okay like eight k's an hour i could do that for 24 or 36 hours but when we got headwind that really killed me and after that i was uh, not able to, to go as fast as i wanted so i wanted to get stronger so that was a goal 
So I did some more intense intervals. Um, yeah, but it's in the summer, it's hard to combine with my work because uh, I'm teaching all day. I'm standing on the water seven days a week and then you want to train before or after. So that's that's really hard. You also have to rest. Without, without rest, you cannot train. So on one hand, it's it's really good. I'm standing all day on my board. And a lot of people are doing these kind of stuff like the nonstop. They got problems with the legs. I'm kind of used to that because of my work. But yeah, I'm not going to do uh, an intense interval at uh, 8 o'clock in the evening after standing on my board from 9 till till 7 p.m. <laughs> and then, uh, then you're really tired. So yeah, we all have our lives. We're not professionals. So the goal is to do whatever you can but still be able to have a social life and uh, we have to work and everything. So Life comes first. And, and just before we get into the specifics of, of this year's race, you mentioned that you're part of the Fnatic team. Just tell us a bit about the board that you use. Yeah, we have the, the Fnatic Strike, a 14-foot. I use the 20-inch wide version, which is actually the smallest, and all the teammates use this and... Joop got first in the open man five days and Kjell got second. So we have a really strong team and, and that's just nice about Team Fnatic that we always are challenging ourselves and the distributor from Fnatic Hermann is really doing a lot for the sports and for the team and he was there five days and even when I was at the non-stop he was there standing and cheering at night. So that's one thing we have a, we have a great team and about the boards i was just standing on a production 14 foot the the only thing is during the 11 city i also beat the uh, the world 24 hour world record and uh, the 24 hour world record you can choose whatever board you want and they always chose uh, a, a longer board something like 18 feet um, which has a lot of benefit. It's faster. And there used to be races on 12.6. There used to be races on 40 foot. So finally, nowadays, all world championships, Dutch championships in the UK as well, I think, they're all 14 foot. So finally, I was happy that I can do all my races on the 40 foot, but I wanted to challenge the 24-hour world record. But that was still on an unlimited. Yeah, I took... Uh, the biggest goal was to beat those guys on the unlimited boards and and i did <laughs> so which is absolutely incredible and obviously for those who aren't schooled with the subtleties of stand-up paddle boarding with a longer board you get better glide yeah. so immediately with those uh, unlimited size boards they've got an ad- advantage well look i i was going to go through the the race and I, I still will but let, let's just have a talk about that world record because you came in 220 kilometers well within that 24 hours i think it's 23 hours 39 minutes i think that you did that in yeah uh, quite amazing at what point did you realize that you had beaten the 24 hour record or or, or were you aware well, yeah, it, it, is a li- it is a little different. The 11 City used to be 204K. And I, I don't know where they got the 220 from, but it's still on the logo. I think that's... Over the place. Yeah, <laughs> sorry about it. It's still on the logo. It's everywhere. But if you measure it, it's just last year it was 204K. 
and which is still a lot. I think the 220 is from the ice skating version. And I think in the first time they, they didn't measure it right and they now don't want to change it or something. I don't, I'm not sure, but whatever. It Last year it was 204K and the world record was 202.7. So I thought, okay, if I can finish this race within mm-hmm. 24 hours, 204K, I got the world record. But then this year they changed the route a little bit. It got... 2k shorter so eventually the new route was i think something like 201.8 so i was one kilometer short of the world record and so i was chatting with the 11 sub organizers how we could fix this because yeah i made this goal trained really hard i trained this year more than ever far more than ever also i have to say the weather looked good if you like last year we had force five and it's nice to have force five in your back but you it's a circle so if you have it in your back a little later you have headwind so that's not going to work so the, the weather was good i trained a lot and i had this goal actually only my girlfriend and, and my family knew about it i didn't told anybody else because um, i don't want too much pressure but yeah i had to so i ch- was chatting with the organizer and then uh, i was asking him how can we do that so there are a few opportunities after the finish of the 11 city i could go pedal further if i thought it was still in reach of the world record but yeah, that's not a lot of fun. A lot of people are standing there at the finish line. My daughter is there. My girlfriend is there. There are fireworks and I keep pedaling. So. so we thought it was the best thing to start 2K in front of the starting line. And I started actually 14 minutes earlier than the start of the 11 city. So mm-hmm. I could do that 2K in 8.5 uh, case average and i still could start at uh, the 11 city at the right time so uh, <laughs> i had uh, to do some calculations but it worked out i think i was six seconds late at the start of the 11 city which is nothing so then a little 23 and a half hour later i was at the finish line of the 11 city Mm. And I broke that course record, which was my own. And I still had 15 minutes for the world record. But, you know, I was I had this goal. I just wanted to beat those guys on a 14-foot. I achieved it. My family was there. Everybody was there. There was music. There was fireworks. It, I was at the finish line. So I finished and <laughs> I went to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And I still had, I think, 15 minutes, a little less or a little more. I, I even don't know. Actually, I don't care. I, I broke the record and finished. And it sets things up really nicely for, for next year, doesn't it? Because <laughs> there's another 15 minutes on. Uh, incredible. I, you know, but I totally understand what you say, because obviously you had that additional time in there. But, you know, I do see what you say, because I don't know whether you've seen the film Forrest Gump, but uh, you don't want to be heading off around for another a lap, do you? No, but, no. Um, miss all the fireworks yeah. but that was, that was incredible so you know just a, again another staggering achievement there uh, on a 14 foot board amazing plus you know the navigation and so on you know the maneuvering okay so let, let's just bring you back to the, the start line so you mentioned that the non-stop event is is staggered so how did you feel just before you set off albeit you know a little way 
I guess, yeah, distance a little way away from where everyone else was starting because you've done this on numerous occasions now. You know how painful it is. What's going through your mind before you head off or is it just totally game face on and, and focus on the race? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Yeah, I'm really concentrated. I'm nervous. I don't think the last few days I'm the nicest person on earth. Just really within myself. I'm mm. an introvert person. So even then it's, it's even more. I know what to do. I, uh, I know exactly what to do. And I'm just gonna, gonna execute it, my plan. And I'm just gonna do it. You're paddling, obviously, you're starting earlier than everyone else. You come to where everyone else starts. And you talked a bit about it. It, it is really important just to pace yourself rather than yeah. to react to, to everyone else. But it, it, it must feel a bit odd if people are ahead of you. Although, actually, you're going to have all of those slower paddlers ahead of you anyway who you've got to overhaul. So I guess that there's no anxiety about that. You just need to concentrate on doing your own thing, really, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And actually, this year, yeah, on, on paper... I was by far the fastest one. Of course, you still have to do it. But there were people who were already saying, I need congratulations when I still had to start, which is a little bit strange. But even then, the first 150K, maybe even the first 170K, you really have to slow down because you really want to go. You know how fast you want. You know how fast you can go. But the last 30k you have uh, against you, it's the water is, is really low, so it's not very deep, so you're slow. So actually the last 30k, of course, you already have done 170k, but then the third, last 30k is even tougher. So I knew already I have to keep a lot of energy for that last part and that's what I did the whole race. Other years, it was a little different. Like the one I got second, then Olivier, he went away. And I think he did the first 50K in, in nine kilometers average an hour, which is really fast. And I saw him going and I thought, okay, do your own race, do your own race, do your own race. But still, well, the year before I won. So you don't want to get second or whatever. So you're still looking at him and I knew how how uh, far he was in front five minutes 10 10 minutes and he was 15 fin uh, minutes in front of me and then actually i decided okay or he's gonna do a really good job and he's gonna be by far the best peddler well i'm probably not or he's gonna die somewhere mm -hmm. and i'm gonna see him again so that's the point where i really started to do my own race and then after 100k, I was uh, supping next to him again. And we were supping the last uh, 100k together. <laughs> and eventually he won. But every time I'm one of the, the slower starters. And every time at the end, well, almost every time, uh, I'm at the end the first one on the finish line. So, yeah, you really have to slow down in the beginning. It's it's not about who's first halfway or whatever. It's it's only about the finish. And if you look, for example, at the marathon, the guys who are winning, they have negative splits. So the second part is faster than the first part. And that's, that's the goal, actually. There are mm -hmm. a lot of benefits when you start slow. It's better for, uh, for your carbs, for your for everything and 
if you start fast, well, then at the end, you have to see what's possible. If you start a little slower, you can see what you have in the end. And like this year, in the end, it was getting uh, tough. It was, I was tired. It was heavy, but I still could pedal my, my same pace, pace uh, like eight, six, eight, seven an hour. And uh, if I see, pictures of myself after 150k i still pedal good if i see the videos i'm still fresh <laughs> and if i see pictures from the last couple of kilometers well well that's where i really went for it the last 30k so start slow is so important tell me a bit about some of the experiences because i know people ask you quite a lot about paddling at night and i understand while some people might struggle with that, you kind of, you quite enjoy it. You kind of get into a bit of a, a, a seeming Zen state. Is, is, yeah. that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's getting really quiet. Usually the wind dies. You see no one else and you're just there with your board and it's so quiet. You hear nothing except your strokes. And I really get into a rhythm and just keep going, keep going. and. Yeah, I really like. I never have problems with the night. Actually, this year a little bit when the evening came and then we got headwinds. The first part was pretty fast and we had some tailwind. But then the second part came and it got evening and we had headwind and the water was not as deep anymore. So then you slow down. And then I thought, oh man, how am I going to do this? I'm not going to be able to get this world record what am i doing here so and then you see all the people standing there and cheering for you and then i said okay let's go for it i cannot quit and then and standing there in the bridge and, and when i'm not there it's a, it's a little bit strange so I kept going and during the night i really got in my rhythm and yeah i like it of course i have my sports nutrition with caffeine i think that helps as well but yeah, I, I sleep a lot normally. The goal is nine nine hours a day, a night. But when I'm paddling, you also have to be really focused because if you're not focused on where you're going, you go, you paddle into trash or wheat, or you you don't see, you don't go well around the corner. So, yeah, you have to stay focused. I think that helps. You have to. <laughs> So I understand that you got attacked by some birds on the way. Yeah, that, that was last year. Yeah, last year was really crazy in the middle of the night, and then you're up north, and up north, it's there are some people living there, but not much. It's so quiet there, so there are no houses, and we were, of I was paddling there on a on a canal in between the weeds, and. Suddenly, yeah, you hear this noise, and you have no idea what it is, and it's so much noise. And finally, you find out that there are birds. So you don't see mm-hmm. much. You don't have a light. And yeah, finally, it must have been millions of birds. And later, when I finished one of the boats, they made a, mu- a little, uh, little movie, a little clip, and they filmed it. And they had a spotlight, and you saw them flying. It was eh, crazy. I was, I was scared. <laughs> but uh, not this year they weren't there i was expecting them but not this mm. year no well, maybe they've gone to watch something else yeah i guess i hope so <laughs> obviously you know you must have felt 
I guess, a combination of being completely exhausted, but also quite exhilarated when past the the, the finish line. Just tell us about um, your feelings when you realize what you'd done. Unbelievable. It's, it's like you said, so much pain, but so happy. And I had this goal and I talked with my girlfriend about it and she said, go for it. And we were planning my training and she did a we have to do more things. I have my daughter. We we have to go to the groceries, do the groceries. We have to cook everything. She did a lot. And even in summer, she did even more because I mm. was, when I was not training, I was working because it's uh, the busy season. What was the question again? <laughs> How does it feel? Oh yeah. I just, so, the, so I did a lot and then you've, yeah, when you achieve that, it's even more beautiful when you know that you did a lot for it. If you get something for free, it's not fun at all. But if you know you did so much for that, it's totally worth it. And still unbelievable that I, I beat this world record time on a 40 foot. And we have had some headwinds. We have uh, current. We have a lot of corners. We uh, everything. So it's it's not even perfect. Uh, mm. So that it's just unbelievable. Still, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> For me, <laughs> do you know what I? So I, I mentioned I've done some sort of distance events in the past, and I think the thing that really benefited me when I finished something is I always said. Never again, absolutely not a chance. <laughs> and because I've got such a shocking memory, my body just forgets how much pain it was. It, it is, yeah. And I think, yeah, I, could, I really fancy doing that again. Yeah, you forget about the bad things and the pain, <laughs> and you only remember the good things, and then you see the pictures of uh, standing at the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> There's this one picture. I use it a lot uh, on my website and everything, and there I was just finishing and I have one fist in the air and mm. my eyes are together and you cannot see, is it pain? Is he happy? Is he crying? Well, I have to tell you, it was all at the same time. So yeah. that really tells the whole story. Wow, that, that's, that was quite some achievement, Nick. So before we um, wind up, I just wanted you to fill in in your part-time role as representative of the uh, the Dutch Tourist Board and just talked about paddling in Holland because obviously there are all sorts of opportunities there for, for people who are coming from elsewhere in Europe. Um, just tell us about some of the, the highlights and the location. So if anyone doesn't fancy doing the, the 200 circle that, that you've uh, made your landmark, where where are the places that people can come and, and paddle in Holland that you'd recommend? Yeah, there's so much water. Uh, and the nice thing is about we have so many canals. And if it's a little bit windy or whatever, yeah, you still can paddle. So that's really nice. Uh, for example, Friesland, that's the part of Holland where the 11 city is. Yeah, it looks like it's made for sup. So many canals, uh, almost every... Uh, city or village you, you can reach by the water and, and there the water sport is really big so in Friesland there are a lot of sub schools and they also rent of course and you have a lot of routes for example I live in Alkmaar Alkmaar has a really nice city center it's really old and you can also pedal through the canals 
And uh, you can do a small route, a big route. We have in the east of Holland, we have beautiful parts there. Yeah, there are so many nice places. And we have big waters like the IJsselmeer, the North Sea, and the southwest of Holland. There are uh, big waters, but usually you don't get, go there for uh, to, to go on the sub because... It's choppy. It's it's windy, but there are all these 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 canals, and they made it make it nice. I have a few on my website. On the it's all in Dutch, but maybe if you really want it, if somebody wants it, they can for sure can translate it. And I have there some some really nice routes from I think the smallest one is four k or three k up till uh, fifty or sixty sixty k. So there are endless possibilities. And I'm doing a bit of an unofficial guide to Europe and uh, comparing it to UK, which is obviously where I paddle. So if someone wanted to, say, do the 11 cities route independently, is that possible? And are there any restrictions? And do you need to pay for a license on the, the waterways of um, the Netherlands? No, you don't have to pay any. I'm just thinking, didn't prepare prepare this yeah there's there's one canal on there you can have uh, big boats and i'm not sure if if it's allowed without if you do it on your own. i think it's allowed i, th- I think but i'm not 100 sure but most of the routes you just can do and there are campings and everything and you can decide to to take your tent with you or or Maybe you have a car that picks you up or whatever. So yeah, that's that's all possible. And the route is actually on the Eleven City Tour website. So you can just see the route. You and if you see a lake, you also can pedal just a little different, and you won't pass the lake. You just go over the small uh, the small canal. So you can also do alternatives. There's uh, a lot of possibilities. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for the the travel advice there. It seems to be the only the UK have to pay for going on uh, waterways, but this is this is what it seems at the moment. But I, I will continue my investigation, so I'll let you know on that one. Yeah. Um, Nick, fantastic. So so good to speak to you. Congratulations once again on such an incredible pair of achievements. Actually, the, the world twenty four hour and your success again for the fourth year on the eleven cities non-stop we really look forward to following you next year i'm not trying to force you to do it or anything but (laughs) if you did do it we'll be following very closely so you know wishing you all the best stay safe stay healthy and thanks for chatting on sub fm thank you thanks for having me and uh, yeah i really like it and keep spreading uh sub around the world thank you for that Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water.